August 2008, it's the Ruby on Rails podcast. I spoke to Ian Dees about his new book for the Pragmatic Programmers, Scripted GUI Testing with Ruby. He's doing some quite interesting things with handheld devices and using Ruby to test those. Notifixius is looking for a Rails expert to become its CTO. Notifixius is a notification platform built partially with Ruby on Rails and XMPP. They're looking for a senior internet engineer with strong knowledge and experience of distributed web architectures, messaging, and queuing systems. The successful applicant will need to be entrepreneurial and enjoy a startup atmosphere in San Francisco, California. Compensation is made up of stock options, a decent salary, and benefits. Check out their ad and a link in the RSS feed or at the podcast website. It's Jeffrey Rosenbach, the Ruby on Rails podcast, this time talking to Ian Dees about his recent book for the Pragmatic Programmers, Scripted GUI Testing with Ruby. So, good morning. Hi. So, what do you do? What does your company do? What uh, inspired you to write a book like this? I assume it was from your day job. Yes. So we're, we're a test and measurement company. And uh, in my particular, my team makes a, a handheld uh, wireless spectrum analyzer. You walk around, take RF measurements, make sure the cell towers are uh, doing their job right. And uh, I, I got, I inherited some, some test scripts, I think just because I was the new guy. And it was one of these, uh, let's see if Mikey likes it kind of things. It maybe it was a, a hazing ritual for new employees to, to get to wrestle with the GUI test scripts. And uh, so it was, it was supposed to be the the, uh, the crummy job that, that nobody wanted to do, but it actually turned out to be kind of fun once you go about it with the right mindset. And uh, a big part of it was getting rid of the, the notion that we had to record and, and play back and then tweak the C code of all of our GUI tests. And once we brought in scripting languages, and we, we tried some little toy examples in Perl, Python, and Ruby, and, and Ruby seemed to be the the one that fit the task best for this particular application, then uh, it became a joy and one of the favorite parts of my job. So did the devices run Ruby or you just use Ruby to do the testing? Uh, We use Ruby to do the testing and we uh, actually have to sort of use some, some uh, TCP hooks to, to get in there and, and, uh, and grab the GUI elements. And the book talks about, uh, Mac and Windows, do these devices run Windows or are they in Linux or some other kind of embedded operating system? They run Windows CE and unfortunately the particular uh, build uh, circumstances that we have, I haven't been successful in getting Ruby to, to build and run on them and, and now it sounds like they're going to discontinue support for CE uh, with Ruby anyway. So uh, the little custom TCP client uh may have been, in retrospect, a, a pretty decent uh, outcome for us. So Ruby just runs on, on the desktop system that's testing out the embedded system. So who did you write this book for? Was it for mostly developers who want to do testing of uh, visual applications or for more like dedicated testing individuals who maybe want to get into doing some scripting? Um, a little of both, actually. But the, the, the short tag of this would be uh, testers who code and coders who test. Um, I'm a little more of the latter persuasion uh, coming from the development background, but having had some testing jobs land in my lap and having to come up to speed about that kind of stuff. And uh, so it's it's obviously, you know, there's a whole world of, of 
testing that's outside the scope of of uh, uh, semi-automated GUI testing, uh, and and this is just addressing that one uh, slice of it. So, uh, people who are dedicated testers are, of course, going to need uh, other books on their bookshelf, other tools in their in their toolkit. But scripting should certainly be one of those tools where you can extend your reach and uh, um, you know do the impossible or do things that would be impossible manually. You mentioned this in the book, but it seems like there's a hugely different mindset for developers who are just trying to test their code versus people who aren't really developers, you know, dedicated QA people who aren't really developers who do development. I remember one thing I, you know, checked in some code and they ran it through and they said, oh, well, if I type a hundred character long string without any spaces, then it wraps weirdly. And, you know, I would never even think of doing stuff like that. How do you talk that, about that in the book of how developers can start to think that way, or is are you more trying to just give people tools? Um, I, I do a little bit. Of, of course, I have to teach myself that kind of stuff too. So just one minor example, when we're talking about putting randomized text into an app, well, do we put in nice lorem ipsum text that has Roman characters in it and, and relatively short words and, and lots of spaces, or do we put in just a whole bunch of garbled gook that could be anything? Or do we even put in binary characters and, and try for, for null characters somehow? And uh, the answer in that chapter was a little bit of everything. There's only so much you can do through the GUI, of course. You're probably not going to be able to type a, a null character into a text editor. Uh, and, and you may find it impractical to type a million-letter file name into an open dialog box or something like that. So there, there are some things that the GUI is just not the best place to do it. But but certainly, um, I'm trying to teach myself to be more pathological and evil when I pound on software. And so I'm hoping that other people share that same uh, delight in, in breaking the app. Some of that, I wonder, you know, who who is that for? Or what kind of, why should those kinds of things even be tested? I heard a, I go to the local uh, Mac Xcoders developer group on occasion, and Someone was talking about testing and said, hey, that's why I have a beta list of of beta testers, and then they will just do whatever they want to do with it, and they in- upload their you know gigantic data files into it, and then we discover, okay, here's a real-world problem that really needs to be fixed. I mean, who, who's going to be ent- entering null characters into text fields anyway? Um, it, it depends on the context, I'd say. I mean, somebody who is trying to hijack your app and use it for nefarious purposes, they might very well be trying to put a bunch of null characters in. And uh, it might just be somebody bored or, or somebody uh, who you know, misunderstands and accidentally pastes something huge in there. Uh, I, I think that, uh, as you say, there are a lot of cases where uh, it's the uh, doctor, it hurts when I do this. Okay, well, you know, don't do that kind of situation. And uh, this is at least hopefully going to give the, the reader a few tools to say, well, if this does fit the problem that I'm trying to solve here with this software, then I'll use these tools and techniques here. Well, getting on to, to uh, GUI testing itself, it seems like one of the huge problems why people don't want to do GUI testing is first, developers feel like their own... Uh, their own unit tests or functional tests really get to the meat of the matter and and cover what really needs to be done. But second, it just seems like they can be so fragile, whether it's, and you talk about this in the book, where it's the timing of applications opening and and being available to be clicked on, or 
UI element names or actual location on the string on the uh, screen. Uh, you know, what's your recommend recommendation for people just getting over that annoyance with the fragility of a lot of GUI tests? Well, what, what worked for me was was to try it. Um, four years ago, I inherited some uh, some UI tests that were written. Uh, well, the, the tool used um, C as its scripting language. Now, C is great for a lot of things. It's it's not my first choice for a scripting language, um, and uh, they were very very tied to hard coded pixel locations on the screen and uh, exact timings. I think they were captured from one of these record playback tools, and so there were these cases of click on pixel number two hundred thirteen comma one fourteen and wait for eight hundred and thirty seven milliseconds exactly, and then start doing this and. Um, we had cases where the UI designer had moved a button or even had changed the setting. Maybe this isn't a button anymore. It's going to be on a menu or on a whole separate dialog box. So now we're just clicking on, on dead space or some new control that's, that's there. And so it just the natural thing to do started to be, to, well, let's get all those hard-coded locations out of the code. Um, and the first step was, well, we'll find that location by its Windows control ID or by its caption, and then we'll, we'll query it for its coordinates. But then the next thing to do uh, is to sort of build a library up around that, kind of like building a, a domain-specific language for your app and say, um, all right, well, we're not even going to talk about searching for control number 1014 and querying it for its boundaries. We're going to talk about um, activating the paste feature and whether that's doing it through a menu or whether that's doing it through a keyboard shortcut or from a toolbar button or maybe a random choice of one of those at runtime um, – that that's not an issue that the top level test code should have to care about unless it's specifically calling out some interaction with the toolbar itself. So um, just building up good abstractions, uh, and I, I built a lot of bad ones, uh, <laughs> learning how to, to build slightly better ones, uh, th- that was the best thing for, for me, getting over the uh, the fragility hurdle. It seems like some of those automated tools work really well for uh, someone who isn't a programmer already because you can just say, hey, record whatever I'm doing, and you go through and you do it, and, it, and it's that easy. Whereas if you're a programmer, maybe you get closer to the metal by actually writing code, but then it's going to take you, you know, quite a lot more amount of time in, in order to uh, specify all of that. Yeah, I, I think there's something to that. Um, I, I think coming from a development background, I'm probably always going to have this developer's mindset and uh, trying to solve everything with software. And, and that's something to to be aware of in, in projects of what your biases are going in. But I, I think, too, though, that, that especially with this kind of software testing, that the, the barrier is, uh, is not as high as maybe people think it is. And I, I think uh, Brian Merrick is of that opinion. Like, hey, guys, you can you can do this. This... Uh, this is testing, and, and this is one of your toolkits. And and by golly, of course, testers can code. Let me show you how. And so I've tried to adopt that uh, feeling uh, in, in this book, of saying, well, yeah, you, you don't have to be a, a Ruby expert to do this stuff. Uh, you can you know pick up what you need and and uh, and just let it become uh, like this bionic extension of your arm. In a lot of your examples, though, you expected people to even to know the you know the Win32 API, and you even showed the method uh, signatures and that kind of thing. You know, isn't that a little too much to expect of people? We don't even expect Ruby programmers, for, for the most part, to know the underlying C 
method arguments and that kind of thing. All right, that, that that's a fair charge. Now, in the case of the of the Windows API, um, if we'd had a, a library like Gemby for for testing Swing, or or like RB App Script for for uh, for testing uh, through Apple's accessibility interface, uh, there would have been a lot less of a need for that kind of stuff. But in, in reality, we had to kind of build our own abstraction up from the ground. But even that, I mean, you you go to the Microsoft page, you look at the function signature. And you can kind of see, all right, well, if it's an integer, uh, here's how Ruby handles that. And if it's, I, I give several examples. So the idea is by the end of, of the first half of the book, the reader m- might even feel comfortable doing a couple of Win32 declarations on his own uh, by going to the documentation page for it and uh, seeing how the parameters map and seeing how we've already done it so far in the book. But you're right that it is, um, there is a little bit of a bump to get over there. But maybe somebody will come along and, and write this fantastic uh, Windows binding library for Ruby and, and totally take that problem away. That's the problem I always run into when I'm writing a blog post or, or a book or screencast or whatever is, okay, I could spend 10 pages describing how to do this specific thing, or I could spend a couple hours writing a nice little library that wraps around this and, and solves all the problems and makes it work nicely but then I'll have nothing to write about in the book. So it's, you know, it's kind of that these things in the process of, of writing a tutorial or a book, you often come up against these problems and, and maybe are better to then write a library that, that solves some of these problems. Yeah, I totally hear you. That was probably the hardest decision of overwriting the books, build or, or buy, although, well, of course, not buy, but use. Uh, and And how much time in the book to spend um, talking about building the library itself, but I I just sort of tried to feel which way the the project was leading me, and in this case, it seemed like building a whole library to cover the entire Windows API uh, would have been a huge, huge undertaking, um, and I, I would have felt a little guilty uh, releasing a library covering only the parts of the API that we use in the book. So then I thought, well, okay, we can we can show how to build this up and hopefully show people. You know, this stuff is doable. And, and even if, if you're somebody who with, with no coding background ever and, and really don't want to get into learning C declarations and, and that kind of stuff, maybe you've got one developer on your team who can write those lowest level glue bits for you. And then you, you move one level up closer to your problem domain and, and start talking about uh, buttons and menus instead of uh, window handles. So stepping back a little bit, kind of kind of high level what about a plan for overall testing in your uh, your consulting or your company? How do you approach this as far as the whole range of testing from unit tests to functional tests to then GUI tests to then human testing? Do you have an overall plan of these features are going to be tested in the GUI and these are going to be tested uh, in lower level unit tests? How do you put together a, a strategy like that? Uh, well, we we kind of see uh, where the most logical places for for things to fall. Now, we we make uh, embedded hardware with with a GUI inside it, and and some things are definitely uh, testable, best testable through uh, like a, a socket interface where you can just control the thing directly. It, when you're talking about the actual numerical quality of the measurements is the hardware making the measurement that it's supposed to. Um, that's the kind of thing that you want to be able to make a few gazillion measurements overnight and the GUI doesn't really matter at all. But when you're talking about 
things like, well, the, the range of this parameter should go from 10 to 6,200 or whatever. Um, that's something that you, you want to see if that range is really truly reflected in the GUI. Did, did all your filters and all your, your limits that you put in the code actually percolate all the way up to what the user can see? And, and we look to at history. Where, where have our bugs been? If, if our binding from the underlying data to the GUI has been rock solid and never, ever broken, maybe we place a little more weight on the functional tests. We say, well, we, we'll do a few quick spot checks in the GUI, but uh, if, if, on the other hand, we want to be absolutely sure that the, the limits and ranges and the way the, the user increments and decrements things, and we want to be sure that that's absolutely perfect or as close as we can get it in, in the UI, then we're going to do a higher fraction of that testing through the GUI. So it, it just it's so, so highly context-dependent. Uh, even just different projects for us, but of course from team to team and company to company. One of the things I thought was interesting that you talked about was using, you know, we'll often think of just a unit test as, okay, you run it and 30 to 60 seconds later you're done. But you talked about using these automated GUI tests, probably mostly for desktop apps, but maybe even for web apps to just run all night long or for it to run days on end and look for memory leaks and things like that. I've heard that Google and I'm sure other places have web browsers just running all the time to try to find different memory leaks in JavaScript or in browser implementations or or whatever. How do you plan something like that? Is that kind of part of your original strategy or do you just go about that kind of thing once you discover that there is a memory link? Maybe do you use that to hunt for memory leaks or is it reactionary once you know there is some kind of a leak? Uh, we actually do both. We've, we definitely set up a kind of stress test where we'll, we'll run it through either a random sequence of, of actions to do and see how far we get before we crash. And then we save the random seed so we can hopefully recreate it. If we, if we do get a crash, when we do get a crash or, or a hang or a memory leak or something. But we've also definitely had, had cases where, um, some specific thing happened where somebody found a memory leak or it started, the app started slowing down after somebody had been playing with it for a long, long time. And, and we said, okay, well, let's just set up a real simple little script. Uh, it just took a few minutes to write, and it's just going to switch back and forth between these two modes overnight and, uh, and watch the, the memory usage. And we'll see if we can re- recapture this. In some cases, we've even found errors in third-party libraries that we, we've been able to, to take the script and show the, the third-party developer, hey, um, I think you, there might be a, a memory leak in this module here. See what happens when we do this. And, and sure enough, they said, yeah, we can recreate it. Here's a fix. So it, it actually comes in very handy both for hunting potential leaks and issues and recreating actual ones. So you also talked about trying to fuzz an application, send all kinds of information to it to look for buffer overruns or other kinds of problems. For the web, I know that we have some Rails plugins such as Tarantula that can do that automatically. Are there similar tools for desktop applications, or do you have to write a customized solution? I'm I'm not aware of as many options on the desktop world, and I I think a lot of that's well, it's just like you said with a custom solution. Uh, each app is so different that you've really got to to be pretty aware of its structure. You might be able to write some kind of GUI spidering tool that would go through, but I, I think the the pickings are definitely richer in the web world for that. So it seems like many aspects of GUI testing are still in kind of an experimental phase. People are figuring out what's possible, what can be done. 
trying to make it easier. What kind of things do you see happening down the road for GUI testing, either making it easier from the development side or maybe even providing different interfaces to to create these kinds of tests? Um, I'd like to see more libraries that are actively maintained and and more Ruby-like in character. I'd love to see somebody take these ideas in the book and run with it and make a whole Windows abstraction library. And I, I think getting tests binding Ruby bindings to these newer platforms is going to be very helpful. If, if somebody figures out how to test Silverlight apps from, from RSpec, um, that's going to open some doors, test and flash, things like that. There, there's a lot out there in terms of just supporting more platforms. And also I, I think uh, the story runner stuff in RSpec is going to be huge. So now we're writing tests in the same language that either your customer or at least somebody who knows your customer's needs can read and, and say, oh, yeah, well, this, this part's wrong here. You need to change this. And no, that's not what I meant. And, and uh, you've got your test becoming a, a conversation piece 